welcome to the third ever Sound and the Fury podcast. My name is Greg Harrington. And I'm Dan Chesworth. Uh, we'll be offering our usual mix of news and reviews with some humour along the way, we hope. And if that's not enough, it's actually a glorious day outside. It is, yeah. so, uh, um, if you listened last week, you'll know that uh, the news did not make the cut, tragically. Sorry. This isn't due to our uh, complete hatred of news, just a slight uh, editing problem resulted yeah. in that. Yeah, that was... Uh, I do apologise, that was entirely my fault. I'm, yeah. I'm no pro at Garage Band. But. Well, don't worry, Dan. Anyway, we're going to learn from our mistakes and move on, hopefully. Yep. Um, where better to go now than the news desk? The news. Okay, the news. Uh, as of recording, it's the 22nd of June, 2010, which is, of course... Budget it, day. Yep, it's this Conservative government, first ever budget, and... There's been talk of weeks for savage cuts, I think. Brutal cuts. Horrendous um, cuts. We're actually recording a little bit before the budget's due. Um, so we never know, we might, uh, might chip in after, make a few comments. Probably can try to predict what will be cut in yeah, the budget. By, by now, most of the expectations are about, I think, Osborne's probably just prepping his speech now. The papers this morning are reporting that uh, 150 million pounds pregnancy fund uh, that was set up during the last government. It's been cut altogether. Yeah, that was. That, I'm not sure if that means like uh, I know you get a sort of like a, a pregnancy uh, bonus sort of thing as, as soon as you are registered as like pregnant. I think you do, uh, no. but it might also include um, the sure start vouchers. I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure about the sure start. I think the health and pregnancy got something different because first hand experience. But I think I think you get it usually about. 25 weeks the health in pregnancy grant it's about it's about 200 pound yeah uh, 190 200 pound it's like a one-off payment thing yeah it? just just a grant nothing repayable um it's pretty tragic that it's gone really because basically the crux behind it is that it helps anyone can get it there's no um there's no sort of it's, it's not just on income is yeah it? it's not just an income at all so a millionaire could get it if they wanted but the the premise behind it is it helps but the people um, who be hit hardest by this will be the poorer people. Well, of course, yeah, obviously. Yeah, ba- the basic premise behind it is that it just helps um, pregnant women, just gives them a bit more money to eat more healthily. And prepare for their prepare, arrival. Yeah, just prepare for the most important last few weeks. Shame on you, George Osborne. Shame on you. Yeah, the thing is, though, they could have just put a cap on it. They could have just made it income-based. I don't see what's wrong with that, really. I mean, there's that, there's that, there's another grant. There's the Sure Start one that you mentioned. That that is income based, I think. You know, that, the health in pregnancy, it's you know, it, it's important, isn't it? It's you never know. Absolutely. A, a poor a poor family they might not just they might only be able to afford the uh, the chicken nuggets, whereas with that they might be able to buy a nice uh, turkey twizzler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that exactly. extra hundred ninety pound. It's not really to... a step up, is it? It's like a stayed on the same room with the food ladder. <laughs> yeah. But with that, that extra £190, you might be able to upgrade from the, the, the humble chicken nuggets to the uh, the classy lean chicken breast. And uh, you never know. Put that in the Caesar salad. Yep. Great. But no, stuck with the, uh, stuck with the Twizzlers. Well, yeah, that, that's all sort of... That's all we know as of now. But yep. uh, say we were... Co-chancellors, we held a sort of, position, sort of, of yeah. position of authority yeah. uh, in like a dual chancellorship. Some sort uh, of bastard coalition. <laughs> <laughs> That'll never happen. No, what would know. what would we cut? Do you think um, to reduce this, to reduce uh, this deficit, deficit. deficit? First place I would go always, I think, is defence. Yeah. Um, so and the you're forces. an anti-trident guy. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, defence, uh, armed forces. And with Ed Miliband on that one, I just I don't know. I just there's no much point to him really. If you didn't have an army, there won't be a. It's a double-edged sword because they need to lose a lot of jobs. But the kind of people that are in the army, it's a double-edged trident. The kind of people who are in the army, I'm not sure that many of them could do another job, <laughs> except for maybe some, <laughs> some manual labour. Brick labour. <laughs> yeah. What I do if I was chancellor, right? I'll get everyone to put their resources in in the big hat, in the imaginary hat. Yep. Everyone get pull their resources and I'd share them out equally, right? And then. I instill myself as like a, a dictator. Mm-hmm. Change the flag. Yep. So I'd like a hammer and sickle on it. Oh yeah. In red and yellow colours maybe. Yellow and red. Yeah. Well, in red and yellow would be the same no, flag as the other way around. <laughs> and uh, get everyone to sort of uh, drink lots of uh, vodka. Yep. Those drinks. 
Day streaks, not just straight. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, Murray, for example. Yeah. And I think that would work out a, a lot better for everyone. Yeah. Just get everyone pissed and forget about it. And in buying all the vodka, it would pump the money back into the economy. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there you go. We should get pissed then. Sorted. Sorted out, Osborne. First chance, though, I think that absolute priority every time, every single time, will be to safeguard the NHS. It's absolutely mandatory, isn't it? Well, the Conservatives and the Liberals seem quite uh, intent, although I think it's more of a Conservative drive on this, they seem quite intent to reduce the power of the state. Yeah. And re- uh, they want to move everything away from like centralisation, and I think that's a bad idea. I think when you have got centralised services like the NHS, they can be... Uh, we made sure that the service is equal throughout the country. That's the thing. The service is equally distributed. And when you've got uh, areas of hospitals that govern themselves, you can yeah. get wildly varying services. And then it becomes like a postcode lottery, where, whereby if you're born in like a rich area, you're... Say, Henley-on-Thames, for example. Yeah, somewhere down there. Compared to being born in Kensington, in Liverpool, as opposed to London. <laughs> if you're right in Kensington, <laughs> in London. Yeah. Right? Uh. But if you're born, say, in Leeds... Your healthcare might be terrible. Yeah. Well, that's the, if you if you did away with private healthcare and private schools and things like that, basically made everyone use the same system, then the people with money who were disgruntled with it would basically it basically forced their hand to improve it. Yeah. It, the reason uh, that the conservatives are so keen to cut, or why they feel no uh, loyalty to the NHS, I think, is because they don't use the service because they they're on. Or on private healthcare oh, anyway. So if they muck up the NHS, it doesn't matter because all their families are all right. Yeah. It's always been the same. Uh, big C conservatism. It's always been the same. Um, look after them all. Yeah. Yeah. Look after the, the, the Thatcher and even all the all the Tories before them. Just looked after themselves. Nobody else. Yeah. All all the great things like the NHS have all come from Labour governments. NHS came under Attlee's government. Yeah. Probably the best Prime Minister of the world. Possibly, yeah. So, yeah. Shame on you, Osborne. Yeah. Shame on you. Okay, last Friday, Friday the 18th of June, uh, basically there was a leaked memo. Uh, it was the, the Guardian highlighted it first, but it soon spread to the other papers. It says, school plan takes money from poor. Uh, it's basically it's Michael Gove, who's a... Moron, he's a he? goblin. Yeah. He's a little goblin. Michael Goblin uh, basically said that um, there's some sort of scheme. It, sa- it says here it's sort of a sw- Swedish-style free schools. Yeah, my understanding of it is that it basically lets people sort of set up their own schools, sort of free of control and free of the na- national curriculum. Right. So I'm an adult. I'm 21 years old. Yep. With a degree. So if I said to my local authority, I want to set up a school. But they just let me do it. Not even taking into account the fact that I'm a fucking idiot. Well, it says here, Goblin unveiled plans for the free schools today, emphasising that most will be run by teachers. Some 750 groups are poised to apply to start a new school, which will be run independently of the local authority. He said that So they, they won't be, like, governed by Ofsted or anything like that? To check the teaching? I'm not sure about Ofsted, but certainly, like, the, well... The to be outside of, like, the councils? To be outside of the councils, yeah. Which is basically it's ridiculous. A, yeah, he said they would reduce some costs and make the program more flexible by scrapping planning laws, allowing schools to spring up in former shops, homes, or banks. This is exactly what I mean. I mean, if you've got a, a service which is nationalised, like the schools are, yeah, and you can make sure that everyone's getting Every- equal uh, equal treatment, all the all the kids are receiving the same level of teaching. Yeah, if everyone is having to go through the same system, it's the same as the NHS, like I've already said. Um, basically, if everyone goes through the same system, everyone's got an interest in making it as good as it can be. But if you can, if you're dissatisfied and just set up your own school, that's solving nothing for anyone. It's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. I don't agree. Says the government said has said that it wants to establish these as small schools with small classes. However, this economies of scale mean that smaller schools generally have larger classes. They can well end up more expensive to run than existing schools. There is a concern among school leaders that the proposed free schools will take funding away from other local schools. It's mm. real. It's, it's a real. It's a real Tory, Tory policy. Just know though that this is such a like uh, an idealistic notion that it's not going to happen in anywhere in England apart from in possibly somewhere like the home counties. Henley on Thames. Henley on Thames. <laughs> and Kensington. In London. In London. <laughs> but not in Leeds. Or Osmere Port. Or St Helens. Or Batley. No, it's happening in Osmere Port. I'm doing it. Alright. Oh, Set up a school in a shed. Of course, I'm doing it in St Helens too. Yep. 
I'm white, gonna be the whitest town in Britain. I think I'm gonna make myself uh, head of year nine. Yeah, and I'll be a geography teacher because I've got some geography teacher uh, blazers. <laughs> pull out. You got like leather elbow patches on. Not yet, but they can be modified. Or is it a leather blazer with tweed elbow patches? <laughs> Inverted blazer. Inverted geography blazer. Anyway, this got me thinking. What if, if we were to run a school independent of the LEA and just, and thus, uh, as a result, independent of the national curriculum? If you were head of school in charge of the curriculum, what would you teach children? What would I teach children? Yep. Well, I think quite uh, an important aspect of uh, teaching is the fact that um, some kids, clearly, I mean, you'll probably agree from your experience of school, some kids are not suited to academia. Absolutely. Some kids don't want to be sitting writing essays. I mean, luckily, I quite like doing things like that. And oh, yeah, yeah. I was always quite good at school and... Yeah, I was always well with tasks. But there's some kids that clearly struggle with it. You know, kids who are like dyslexic and who just got problems in writing down sentences and stuff. And they're obviously, so I think clearly there needs to be a focus on more practical tasks for some kids. That should be an absolute must. Yeah, that is a must. Because they're getting failed by the school system. Well, I've got written down basically that all schools should have what's could sort of be seen as an underlying tone of basically teaching children the importance of the the fulfilment of the, the quest for knowledge as opposed to just feeding information. Sort of if you sort of basically basically inflame someone's hunger to, for learning something, like by making it making it interesting, making them think about it as opposed to just saying, uh, read this and answer, answer the questions in one paragraph. You know, it's like normal comprehension. It's it's dull. If you if you make I know what I mean. You sort of need to make it interesting. Yeah, definitely. To, for people to learn, to to sort of glorify the quest for knowledge. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else have I got written down? I would teach politics at secondary school. Yep, I've got because politics. There's always, always, always in every general or local election a low turnout of young voters. Yeah. And this could potentially help uh, correct that. Yeah. To get young people I've got interested the same in politics. I've got the need to politicise for voting at 18. And it could prove to be beneficial for the country because if you get people who are not interested in politics interested in it, then you might get those people going into local government, and eventually you might end up with you know one of them being like a, a cabinet minister or a prime minister and a chancellor of the exchequer. Yeah, shame on you, Osborne. Shame on you. Shame on you, Osborne. <laughs> uh, I've also got written down. Uh, I think there should be less of a focus on classical music in music lessons. Yeah. Because kids don't like classical music. It's just a given. Mm-hmm. You might learn to appreciate it when you're older, but when you're eight years old, if you're given if you're given a keyboard, you want to be playing pop songs and stuff. You don't want to be playing fur release. Yeah, I've got I've got mu- uh, music the same. And basically, it should be is in my music lessons in school, year seven, eight, and nine. I didn't do it at, even though I li- I like music as a subject. I didn't do it at GCSE because basically all year seven, eight, and nine were were basically playing keyboards, playing boring songs on yeah, keyboards exactly. and nothing else. And it's just it was just dull. Well I think from my perspective, I am personally really interested in music and I am re- a really yeah. big music fan. But if if someone like me is even being completely like not catered for by music lessons at school, then it's failing totally. Yeah. It needs to be a radical shake up. Yeah. You need to get the kids playing Lady Gaga songs and stuff. Well, that could be a basic premise. I've got it sort of written down basically that uh, I've got it in reference to media studies, but it sort of could be applicable to music too. Where basically, if you let the class decide what sort of things they want to learn to do, music-wise, media-wise, even art-wise, really, in the, it's it's made interesting for them, really. Yeah. If you basically just let them choose. And right, I think that all authoritarian PE teachers, which yeah. all of them are, they should be replaced, and all the other teachers should be let have a go. Yeah, take it to us, teach me. You know the way that they do like playground duty and stuff? Mm-hmm. That should be the same for PE lessons. You get like an art teacher doing PE. Yeah, I've got something written about PE. I'll be honest, I was being a bit silly with this one. Football daily for, for the boys. And if the girl, if they like, of course, the girls can play if they like. But regarding the girls otherwise, netball is shit. So is hockey. So I think that um, the girls should consider some more feminine sports. Maybe archery, darts and snooker.
Snooker? Yep. Not feminine? No, I think it could be. It's not feminine, or masculine. I think that, that's, that's the main aim of my curriculum, is to feminise snooker. It's one of the only asexual sports I can think of. And I was also banned. <laughs> I was also banned cross-country and swimming. I like cross-country. Yeah, and swimming? Uh, uh, swimming was personal. I when I set up my school in my shed, your kids aren't coming. No, that's alright. Although we only teach geography. We've only got a year nine. <laughs> it's going to be me and one 13-year-old boy in a shed. Yeah, you teach PE as well, though. And I have you to take teach it in terms PE. Of PE. I take it in terms. Yep. <laughs> yeah, reg- regarding politics, like we were talking about before, I think history and politics are perhaps two of the most important subjects. But the thing is with history, I always thought it was good. It was really geared towards British history and sort of a battle between good and evil. And there wasn't really an argument with it. It was sort of acknowledged at school that um, in there's, there's always a good and a bad. And it's never argued. It's, it's only ever looked at from one side, I thought of it. Yeah, as much as I enjoyed it, you know, doesn't it? It was, yeah. a, bit one, it was a bit one-sided. Um, so I, I've, I've earmarked a few case studies for history. I'd like to see uh, a main focus on modern history, really. Um, 19th and 20th century, maybe even 21st century, by the time we set up this school. You know, you can do the wars, World War One, World War Two, but That's maybe more on something like uh, the Bay of Pigs and uh, Cuba, uh, the Cold War. And apartheid as well. I think apartheid is massively important. I've got Northern Ireland written down. Yeah, Northern Ireland, well, it's not the same as apartheid, but it's, again, Similar. it's important. It's a civil war. And also, for politics, I even created an assignment. <laughs> the first assignment should be to create a mini, man- a mini manifesto. Wow. To uh, sort of, to be discussed with the class, to see what people think of things. Uh, and that's it. And then, but hit case studies for politics... Uh, as well as the, like British politics, um, the importance of looking at like Cuba, um, North Korea currently, Thatcherism in the UK, uh, Russia, the Russian Revolution, Brazil in the sixties, and apartheid again. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Need to step away from British politics. <laughs> geography. You write anything about geography? You are teaching it after all. Um, no. Oh well, that's a shame because I'm not going to make your job. I don't need easy. to write anything. I know it all in it already. But the thing is, for geography, studied it up to year nine level. I thought volcanoes and wind and things like that were boring. But what's lacking in ge- geography is um, well, basically, my idea for geography is it should just basically be learning a map of the world and being able to pinpoint places and cities on it. But basically, a lot of people don't know that, and it's basic. <laughs> That, right, that I think is completely uh, at odds with your thing before about hating to learn minute details and things. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Yeah, that is a massive contradiction. But still, you don't want to <laughs> if you get people interested in countries, and then basically it can t- you can even tie in with politics. So, uh, I think there should be more geography trips abroad. Definitely a weekly one, maybe to a different country each time. There's a rich school. Yeah. Maybe one in Henley upon Thames. Yeah. Or Kensington. Or Kensington. Uh, maybe they've got enough money to go on a weekly geography trip to like Argentina. And then they go to uh, Tibet. Yep. And then uh, South Africa. South Africa. New Zealand. South Africa. South Africa. No, mine's better. Yeah. What about science? Any views on science? I think the science at the moment. I mean, at school, I quite like science. I like science at school. I thought it was good. I thought that was interesting. It, it sort of, that was sort of a lot of times just the outlines, especially in biology. I used to like biology at school. Uh, it just makes you interested, doesn't it? It's, yeah. That that I thought was taught the right way. In that it was like, you know, you, you could come out with science, doesn't it? That was really really interesting, and you'd actually want to like learn more about it. Maybe that was just me. Yeah. But no, yeah. I concur with that. The only thing I didn't like in science was forces. I used to do forces. It seemed every few weeks in physics. Forces was boring. It should be more anatomy. Swap physics for well, swap half of the physics for half extra biology. And uh, on Friday afternoons, double up thrust lessons. <laughs> My favourite forms. Uh, maths. Yeah, I think there should be maths should be geared so it can be understood in the context of real life situations. Yeah. So, for example, if there was uh, an empty classroom in the school, kids should be taken there. The teacher should say, right, I need you to calculate how much wallpaper we'll need to buy 
to cover these walls, we need to pay for these walls. Mm, that so kind of thing. That's so, yeah. Because that's when you use maths in real life. Yeah, and then as well as calculating the area and how many rolls, you calculate the cost as well. Exactly. A bit of everything there. Win win. And then for your practical situations, you even make them do the wallpapering. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And there's more practical tasks there. Definitely. For kids who aren't suited to academia. I'll tell you what, I'd do away with in maths trigonometry. Does anyone use trigonometry? Yeah. Is it in anything? Yeah, you can use it in like DIY and stuff. Trigonometry? Yeah. I've, n- I've never used cosine decorating a room. I oh. <laughs> Although it was a maths themed room. Anything <laughs> uh, uh, else? English? What I'd do, I'd do it for English. I would teach the merits of, of reading good literature. Right? Yep. And therefore, I would punish the kids who have copies of Jordan's autobiography in the house mm-hmm. until they realise the error of their parents' ways. I've got much the same. I've got to focus on the classics. I think uh, Orwell, well, only Animal Farm in school, but maybe 1984 as well. Little politics tie in, maybe. Uh, I'd do away with the anthology. And um, oh. you, you know, you've got to study poetry. It's uh, you got, you got yeah, to do a bit of it. Do some alright poetry, not that like rubbish. Blake, maybe, for example. Yeah, that would be. You do Blake, you do Keats, you do Wilfred Owen, but you know, not Caroline Duffy. Right, one last thing, the biggest lesson of all RE. Right. Religious education. I've got an idea for RE, basically, that <laughs> I'd just run it this way there'd be one lesson at the start of each year, and it'd be, you have to do it at the start of each year, just as a reminder. Where the base of it is, it's one basic lesson. That the premise of it is, there's one basic lesson which teaches that all religions are of equal value and none are necessarily right, and that one is no more or less correct than the other. And I think it's absolutely right. But how correct are they in total? Well, that's what I said. None are necessarily right. Right. Okay. But then again, you also got to teach atheism as a possibility. I mean, the RA in my school was always taught because we went to a Catholic school. It was always taught. Assuming that things like God existed, exactly, yeah. And I think, right, that was that's a, an, all I appreciate for it being a faith school. I think it was morally wrong. You are brainwashing kids. It is, it is morally morally wrong to assume that to assume that. I've no problem with it being taught, but I think they should have taught more than just Christianity. Yeah. And I think they should have also taught they should have taught, taught it from a completely uh, subjective. Yeah. point of view where they said this this is what this is, Christians yeah, think this is one point of view yeah they um, should not have said things like Jesus fed 5,000 people with and parted the minimal sea. food supplies and parted the sea and walked through it yeah, yeah. that is of Moses yeah well, uh, same, same. That, that to me is like an outright fib stop yeah. fibbing to kids yeah uh, if you're going to teach that you've got to teach the, the atheist point of view as well and the humanist point of view yeah They've got to be taught to. Okay, Dan, so has anything caught your eye in the tabloids this week, apart from page three? <laughs> um, well, speaking of page three, this is actually on one half of page three, the other half, as it's <laughs> known. Yep. It's ridiculous. It's about Russell Brand and uh, his uh, fiance, Katy Perry, seems to, seem to be getting married in um, identical latex suits. Latex. Latex. Outfits will cost £3,000 each. My word. Is this going to be like a latex tuxedo? <laughs> I don't know. It says matching, so I don't know. Matching? Who knows? Well, well maybe, they, maybe, it's, just maybe it's a fancy dress and they both have to go as like one of the modern Batman yeah. characters. Oh, imagine they'll be wearing that all day. I should say, by the way, I am reading The Sun. Uh, that is my tabloid choice for today. Uh, but yeah, that... Um, few more pages in, as the usual stuff. Right, uh, another point, David, uh, the, the, of course the 300 British troops die in the, uh, I don't know, what would you call this war? Uh, the Afghan slash Iraq war. I wouldn't even say it was a war, I'd say it was an occupation. Yeah, it is occupation, really. The Middle Eastern occupation. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, the 300th uh, fatality was yesterday. <laughs> Can I just make a point, right? 300 military fatalities in nine years it doesn't sound that much to me I don't know about you but doesn't know it's really not is it but I when you think. consider that they're occupying uh, just civilian areas there's no sort of principality that's being held by yeah. uh, this rebel force they're just fighting like guerrillas yeah. not the good kind <laughs> what the Damon Albarn kind <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, what else? In the sun, there's Al Murray's column, which uh, seems to flicked past. It's the reader's appropriate face um, value. It's actually a tiny little story, which really made me laugh, I don't know why. It's uh, one sentence long, the headline is, Flaming Rat. <laughs> <laughs> that popular expression. <laughs> like, like Flaming Heck. <laughs> flaming Rat. I'll actually read out the whole story. A rat caught fire chewing a power cable and then ran off, starting a blaze in a building in Yakima, Washington, US. <laughs> that's the whole story. That's the, that's so then the rat live? It doesn't say if the rat lived. You can't imagine so if it was on fire. And then ran into a building that started burning. <laughs> it was on fire in a burning building and it was a rat. So uh, I wouldn't hold up much hope. Um, ah, here we go. This is more like it. The ongoing civil war in the UK. There is a civil war going on, of course. Between humans and foxes? Yep, it is human versus fox. Uh, another fox attack, if you can call it an attack, really. Yesterday, uh, in a nursery, it was a three-year-old this time. Uh, he was bitten by the fox on the arm. Ow. Um, yeah, a three-year-old boy bitten on the fox on the arm. So um, this is another separate... Yeah, another separate incident. Right, do you think? Like, this it. might sound like ridiculous liberal conspiracy on yeah. my behalf. Do you think that these stories are being played up a bit? I mean, this sounds even made up. Yeah. I think the first one could have genuinely happened. Oh, I think it did. Yeah. But it's been so overplayed, and this has been really played up as well. Do you think that... And the fact that they're appearing in the right-wing press, do you think that this is like a... Uh, some kind of campaign to start to get fox hunting up and running again. It could well be, because there is a quote here. Pro-fox people will say he promoted. it. It worries me that a fox was able to get close to a child. It's, yeah, it's been it's been pumped up by the right-wing press. The, uh, the fox hunting kind. Um, definitely. I think by I think within by this time next year, fox hunting will be re-legalised. That's my, that's my prediction. To remember the date. If Fox isn't legalised by the 22nd of June 2011, I will eat a copy of the sun. You'll eat a latex wedding suit. <laughs> a worn one. <laughs> not wet. The Russell Brown one as well, not the Katy Perry one. <laughs> Even worse. What else? It's a, it's a slow news day. Just, uh, the World Cup's ongoing. We've uh, kept quiet about the World Cup. Uh, we took on board some constructive criticism last week that we had from... Um, Sean Jones one from Sean, on Sean, Twitter at Sean Jones one on Twitter. Who's I don't know who it is. It must be one of our fans. We don't know who's connected. Some to deranged fan has complained that there was too much sports coverage in last week. Yep. What fifty percent of the podcast is too much? Is it? Well, it wouldn't get have been, over yourself, Sean Jones one. If shame on you. If we'd have had our news section, it would have only been about ten percent of the podcast. <laughs> maybe because our news section last week was considerable. So, uh, and great as well. Shame we lost it. It was a tragedy we lost it. We'd have been, uh, I think we'd have been on the, maybe in the top ten of the iTunes chart. Sports. So we have taken that criticism on board, but while it is flavour of the month, we should do really a quick World Cup roundup. Yep. We'll try and make it last under sixty seconds. Okay. Some quick fire questions for you, Dad. I'm going to ask for oh, your you're opinions. In the form of a Q and A. Yeah. Have you watched every single game so far? Not in its entirety, but uh, I've yet I've watched at least. You've seen uh, highlights. I've, I've seen at least one half of every game. Right. Okay. Tell me some questions then. Okay. Best match. Um, best match was Denmark and Cameroon from a few nights ago. It was brilliant, end to end. Worst match. Uh, France and Uruguay on the first day was turgid. Best player. I like Alexis Sanchez, the Chilean winger. He's very lively. Worst player. <laughs> Robert Green. Best kit. Best kit is Portugal's home kit that they wore against um, North Korea yesterday. Very smart. Worst kit? Cameroon's away. The yellow and red one is awful. Best manager? Uh, Bielsa, Chile, attacking football. Attractive. Good. Worst manager? No doubt about it. Dominic, France manager. <laughs> Best pundit? Mick McCarthy. Worst pundit? Alan Shearer. Dull as dishwater. Best fans? Best fans the USA have been out in force. They've been excellent. Worst fans? Um Probably North Korea, just because I probably haven't seen any of them, I don't think. I don't think I've seen any of them. Best goal? Best goal? I like the very first one, the South Africa one, the Shabalala. I really like that one. Oh, but David Veers yesterday was perhaps up there. Worst goal? Samuel Atu's for Cameroon against Denmark. It wasn't bad per se, but um, it was shambolic defending, which left him with a tapping. So, there you go. Best celebration? 
Uh, oh, South African one, the first goal, dance. Yeah, it's great. Magic, magic. Worst celebration? Surely it was Ilanos with his waving shin pads. And finally, the worst dive. Worst dive. Oh, it was definitely the Ivory Coast, uh, Keita Keita, which got Kaka sent off, holding his face when he was elbowed, probably in the, uh, the midriff. But fair, seeing as Rivaldo did that horrendous dive against Turkey all the years ago. Mm, it's, it's harsh on Kaka, but you know, Brazil's three. So anyway, there we go. Hope you're happy Sean Jones won, whoever yep. you are. Richard Littlejohn. Uh, one final thing from the tabloids. It's actually printed off online from the uh, that the most cynical of all the tabloids, the, the wonderful Daily Mail. And it's an article by everyone's fav- everyone's least favourite columnist, probably, in fact. Um, Richard Littlejohn. I call him Richard Little Twat. It's my satirical name for him. My satirical name is Richard Little Cock. <laughs> Um, well, I'm not sure about his penile measurements, but I am sure he's a twat. Everyone knows his uh, favourite subject is uh, blatant homophobia. And of course, just just uh, covering for his own his own seedy lifestyle. Um, <laughs> right, it's ridiculous. It's so it's sexist, sexist as well as homophobic. His basic point this his, his article this week is about Chris Hume's uh, what could you call it a fur his little mistress. Yeah. Um, his mistress is a bisexual, but little John's complaining, because calling her a caricature lesbian because he's got short hair. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, he's sick, isn't he? He's horrible. He's obsessed with um, gay people, but he obviously he's ridiculously homophobic. But <laughs> right, he's he's obviously gay himself. Obviously, just yeah. by how much he loves. You can't be that him. obsessed with something and not love it. Yeah, but basically. Um, it's just really sick and superficial. First of all, he calls him the Minister of Windmills. That's really, really funny, of course. What's his job, Hugh? Is he Environment Secretary? Envi- of course, Minister of Windmills. Yeah. Um, yeah, he hates the environment, of course, little John. But he says the affair raises questions about his judgment, which I think is really, really insulting. Hugh's judgment? Yeah, because, basically, of his mistress. He's, he's, he's calling to question Chris Hugh's judgment. Because of his mistress, because his mistress is bisexual and uh, isn't what you call sort of classically attractive. He's calling, he's calling into right. his judgment into a. Well, I mean, he's got pretty good judgment. Obviously, he's seen her knocking around. She might look to some people like idiots like Richard Little, John, like a lesbian. Yeah. But Hume's seen past that and thought, nah, she's interested. Yeah. Anyway, he's it, done well. He's got good judgment. Yeah, it, it, of course. He's, uh, he's found a woman just because. Um, Richard Little John is jealous because he hasn't got a homosexual man of his own. That's um, but another thing he says is that n- no politicians get caught. He says, Hume thought he wouldn't get caught. None of them do. None of them get caught, but they obviously do. So many politicians get caught, don't they? Yeah. Major. Prescott. Prescott. Uh, David Mellor in his Chelsea kit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Clinton. Clinton got done, didn't he? Yeah. Loads of them. Yep. Um, what else does he say? Shame on you, little Joe. He also says most of us couldn't care less what consenting adults go up to in private. <laughs> that is the the richest irony of all um, from Richard Littlejohn, who, despite not caring less what consenting adults get get up to in private, <laughs> sees fit to write uh, a decent length article about what Chris Hume gets up to in private. It's only decent length though because he's uh, all his paragraphs are one line long. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> his his sentences are paragraphs. If it was, a, if you were a kid at school, it was your punishment to go away and write uh, two sides of A4 on something, and you did a paragraph with a last of a line. You get time to do it again. Of course, it's terrible English. I'm a terrible man. Uh, he also has a quick talk about the budget. He says it will be one long procession of leftist commentators. He hates the uh, hates the Guardian Easter, denouncing the wicked cuts, and will take its tone from the BBC's reporting on Israel's policy towards Gaza. Which I find to be really, um, really quite nasty. A nasty thing to say. Yeah. Um, of course, a nasty, hate-filled man, though. He is. He's horrible, isn't he? He also says wicked cuts sarcastically, but to be honest, there's no need for sarcasm. They will be, uh, they will be cruel cuts. They made no bones about that. Even the Tories themselves, they know the cuts are cruel. That's just yeah. their way of, uh, the it's just the, the Tory way of doing things is to cut. Um, yeah, he's just gone back. Absolute scumbag. Shame on you, little Joe. Yeah. Shame on you. You fat bastard. Come from me.
So, have you read anything this week, Dan? Um, I finished one book. Um, I finished Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid, The History of Football Tactics, but due to the uh, what's now known as Article 1, The Rule of Sean Jones, I won't review that. It's uh, a good read, though. It's one for the football purists. It's hardly a, hardly a book for the casual football fan, but I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, how about yourself? Anything? Any literature? No, I can't read. Really? That surprised me, considering your <laughs> book collection that we're sat next to. <laughs> Yeah, that's just a, it's a lie, it's a con. Really, they're all uh, pages are all cut out and just all contain guns. Yeah, I'm just a gun fanatic. <laughs> no, I just haven't had uh, time to read anything this week. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I found this thing in The Guardian from, I think it's, yeah, it's current. I printed it off today anyway. Um, it's called The Top 100 Books of All Time. Uh, I should stress it's non-fiction. No, it's not. I should stress it is fiction. <laughs> <It's> fiction. <laughs> I always get them confused. Um... Yeah, uh, it's full of classics, and basically I've gone through, I've highlighted how many I've completely read and how many I've started reading. Uh, they're all classics, I've heard of them, um, heard of most of them. And of these books, I have read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have started reading ten. And ten percent. Yep, that's ten percent. That's not too bad. But I've completed only three. No, that is three. Three percent. Three percent. Uh, the ones I've completed, of course, are 1984, uh, Classic, always, uh, Othello, in School, and Hamlet. And the ones I've started reading, War and Peace, Love in the Time of Cholera, Ulysses, which I couldn't get my head around, uh, Crime and Punishment, Great Expectations, The Brothers Karamazov, and Sound and Fury, which, unbelievably, neither of us have ever read all the way through, despite taking it for the title enough. Yep. Yeah. Have a look at the list. Yeah. So many read. It's quite a comprehensive list. They say it's all fiction books. Controversially yeah. though, the uh, the Bible does not make it onto the fiction list. Although I that. I'm not a big fan, but you know it's probably in the top 100 fiction books. <laughs> Definitely a work of fiction. <laughs> eight. I've read eight of them. I've so read eight percent of the list. You read eight percent of the list. But I'm, I've I'm guessing all those books. I, I definitely have started Ulysses, but it was so. It, it's dense. Impossible it's to read. dense, isn't it? Yeah, but there's, there's plenty on there that I've actually med, med, uh, meant to read. Um, Camus, of course, A Stranger. I've uh, been meaning to read that. <laughs> the, the great crime is that I've got uh, Great Expectations. Literally literally got my finger on it now. I'm a, on my shelf and I've never read it. <laughs> Again, I've started it. Do you have any, uh, have any expectations of it? Uh, well, the ones I do have are great. Yeah, excellent. I'll just read the blurb. So all in all, not a very good book review. <laughs> talking, yeah. talking about books that we've started but not finished. Look failure. Uh, I don't think we're qualified enough to do a book review section. <laughs> so, so in between us, we have read probably well eighteen percent. Even though I'm sure several of them overlap, so probably less than. 15%. I'm going to draw a Venn diagram to how many overlap. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I think we better, I think we better call it a day for fifteen percent. That is poor. We've read a lot of books this week. In that case, we should end the book section now. Anyway, just reading the list of classics, it reminded me of a joke that I heard uh, broadcaster Andrew Collins say once. Uh, an Irish joke. I'm not usually a fan of Irish jokes because basically they're racist. They're racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this one sort of. It, it, it's an Irish joke, but it basically just confounds your expectations. Do you want to hear it? Please. Um, basically, uh, an Irishman goes for a job at a builder's firm. It's all right so far. Yep. And the, the foreman says to him, um, okay, you can have the job. If you tell me, do you know the difference between a joist and a girder? And the Irishman goes, of course. Joist are at Ulysses and girder are at Faust. Nice. Brilliant. See, to- totally confounding your expectations. Television. Okay, television time. So, have, uh, have you watched anything that's outside of your normal viewing schedule? This week, I have mostly been watching... Lee Wilson's Well Good Show. Oh, yeah. Uh, which aired on BBC Three. Uh, I think it started last week. Uh, watched the first episode of that. Any good? Potentially the worst TV programme ever produced. Oh, dear. Ironically, it is not Well Good. <laughs> um, the title Well Good should have given you a clue. <laughs> there were a few really annoying things about it. Firstly, the whooping studio audience. Uh, the main focus of the show seems not to be any sort of uh, genuine comic. Uh, material but seems to be based around a loud annoying repetition of derivative and meaningless catchphrases just again and again repeating them the crowd still cheering like 
Burks. Uh, the live studio format, coupled with the Ali G style uh, act, makes the whole show seem totally outdated, and it is mm. like something from the 1990s, I think. It's yeah. like TFI Friday, near the way the audience were on that. Yeah. It's totally like that. Um, but while they do, while Lee Nelson does employ an, a sort of Ali G act, uh, whereas Ali G worked on multiple levels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was sort of meant to be ironic and... Oh, yeah. Sort of like a vague socio-political comment as well. Uh, Lee Nelson has no duality of meaning whatsoever as a character. Uh, it's an act which is purely intended to be enjoyed at face value. Much, and I, much like some readers enjoying the Almory's pub on <laughs> Not getting the irony, yeah. Uh, but I think because it was the first show in the series, you know, because it had never aired before, um, the studio audience had clearly been like drafted in off the streets or something. Mm. And uh, it was absolutely bizarre to see because there were a mix of like old and young people, even though this was clearly aimed at people below 20, I think. Yeah. Uh, below 12 <laughs> IQ of 12 uh, so the studio audience had no like prior knowledge of what the show was about uh, and some of them <laughs> I don't even know why they kept these shots in there were shots of some of the audience clearly not enjoying the programme <laughs> so just poor editing uh, overall so really it goes to highlight the short sighted nature of the producers um, and they were completely failing to understand uh, this demographic uh, the BBC3 claims to be catering for so I give Lee Nelson's Well Good Show naught Greg's out of 10 oh dear um, yeah um, outside of my standard viewing schedule I watched uh, on Channel 4 on Tuesday at 9pm I watched Inside Nature's Giants where they done cut up the animals yep uh, they do dissections of large basically very large creatures um, stuff that you see the innards of not much um, yeah, I found it really interesting. I really liked it. Um, quite gory. Quite to s- me, it, quite sad. At I times, mean, really. I've, I've never watched tragic. it, but it looked like it might be quite sensationalist. Is that true? A little bit, a little bit sensationalist. Um, yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it though because it, it's quite. There's something really sort of tragic about it in a way. Seeing like something like a great white shark, which was on the week before last. Which animal um, did you watch getting? I watched both. I watched the last two. I watched the great white shark two weeks ago and the Burmese python last week. Right. And um, I don't know what I think it's a lion this week. Oh, oh, it's a lion and a tiger. That's tonight, Tuesday at nine pm. Could have just got a liger and just yeah, impressed the show, you know. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting. But like I said, there was some sort. Of, there's an underlying tragedy about like a, a really powerful animal just being sort of laid on a slab and cut up. There's something really in the cold light of the day. Yeah, there's something really sad about that. But it it was interesting. It was. Like I said, they do try to sensationalise it a bit, but what what made the programme for me was that halfway through, they just cut from, because they do it outside, in like, yeah. sort of the habitat really, the, the shark one in um, Cape Town and the Burmese python one in Florida, where they're actually culling them, so they actually killed one to do it, which I didn't like at all. Oh, no. Um, I didn't like that at all. But halfway through, they cut back to a studio in Britain, and who's there what, um, explaining the wonder of this oh, creature? Oh, it was Dawkins. It was, only, it was only Richard Dawkins, who it's always a pleasure to see. So, uh, yeah. I like Richard Dawkins. He's like a little knowledge fairy. He is. <laughs> he's a great man. He's a, a very forceful atheist. Sometimes a little too forceful, but he's right, so <laughs> who's to argue? But yeah, it was it was a little bit sensationalised, but it was enjoyable, it was interesting. I gave I give it a... Um, Six and a half downs out of ten. That's and I must stress that's the top half of me. So uh, yeah, six and a half out of ten. Quite good. I'll be tuning in again tonight. Quiz time, children. It's quiz time. Of course. It's my feeling feeling confident this week. My turn to answer. Um, well, I've heard rumours of the questions being difficult. There are some difficult questions in there. Is the fifteen? Usually is. Yes, there are fifteen questions. Right. I'll be happy with. What did I get first time? I got seven, seven. first time round. You got eight. Oh, so the pressure's on for me to turn it round. Win back the air uh, trophy. Um, not overly confident. Maybe like a... No, mm, we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Okay, all right. Here we go. Ready? Yep. The Seychelles are an island group located in which ocean? Indian. Correct. Yes. English King Harold II died in which battle? Bosworth. Hastings. Was it? Oh, of course. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher succeeded whom to the post of Conservative Party leader in 1975? Oh, Edward Heath. Correct. Yes. Incorrect. I've got Ted Heath written down. 
Okay. Seven of the top ten all-time highest-scoring Premier League players are English. Can you name two of the three non-Englishmen in the list? Nicholas Nelke. Dennis Bergkamp. No, neither of them are there. Oh, God, hang on. I've got more goals. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, Van der Storoy. One. Yes, confirm that's correct. No. Dwight York. Yes, he is on the list. Dwight York and... Right, this is your last last go. All right, then, all right. You have to get this. Dwight York is in, and let's see. Hmm. I can't believe Van der Storoy's on here. You sure? I'm sure. Wait, English? What about Irish people? Non-English. Is that including Scots and Welsh? Non-English. Oh. Is Robbie Keane in there? Nope. Oh, fuck. Alright, the correct answer were uh, Thierry Henry. Oh, my God. And Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Oh, I wonder got him. Oh, I forgot about him. But Henry? Oh, I forget Henry. Jeez. Right then. Okay. Shameful. This is hard, this one. We're a football fan as well. Alright, Ada Lovelace is generally understood to have created which world first in the 1840s? Is it the bra? <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> computer program. <laughs> I think Lovelace made me think of Silk. I'll put in name. It was. Uh, never mind. All right. Um, in nineteen sixty, the UK publishing ban was lifted on which nineteen twenty eight book? Um, is it by D H Lawrence? Can't say. Can't Lady Chatterley's Lover. Yeah. Correct. Yes. What colour is a double word square on a standard Scrabble board? Light blue. Pink. <laughs> In Cockney rhyming slang, <laughs> oh, what, is well. meant, what is meant by the expression Daisy Roots? Daisy Roots. Oh, did you get this straight away? Is it, is it football related? Is it shoots? No, it's boots. Oh. Okay. The Bolshevik uprising that led to the Russian Revolution took place in which year? 1917. Right. You don't get me on Russian history. I got half a degree. <laughs> In the Bond film, You Only Live Twice, 007 stops a Chinese satellite from attacking just in the nick of time, leaving the countdown with how many seconds remaining? Is it not, not 7? Is it 7? No. Uh, <laughs> 4. Uh. Okay. Uh, Australian Neil Robertson became the only third non-Britain to win the World Snooker Championship this year, defeating which former champion in the final? John Higgins. Graham Dot. I was going to say Dot as well. Okay. Impressionism is a style of painting that arose in 19th century Paris, seeing which prominent artist as its figurehead? Monet. Correct. Good guess. Who released albums entitled Overnight Sensation, Hot Rats and Apostrophe? Frank Zappa. Correct. The Flying Fox is a mammal more commonly known by what name? Bat. Ooh. Fruit Bat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in that. Veteran children's entertainment duo, the Chuckle Brothers, are often, <laughs> often depicted as avid supporters of which English uh, football Rotherham club? United. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> right, you scored eight. Oh, I've improved. I've improved. <laughs> uh, See how it pans out next week. Oh, that's going to be a tense for now. And now on Radio 4, we take another trip to Dr. Ben's surgery in Drop Your Trousers, Please, A Life of Love and Medicine. Mr. Baggis, uh, please take a seat. Uh, okay, so. So, what's the problem? It's uh, it's this testicle of mine again, uh, doctor. It's just uh, it's just hurting. What kind of pain is it? Just just hurting. It just hurts. Just hurts, right? Okay. I think the best thing for you to do is uh, just to if you could just drop your trousers, please. Anything but you, doctor. There you go, sir. Right. Uh, cough. Hmm. Well, I think the main problem is the fact that your entire genital region has swollen up to twice its normal size. No, 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 Doctor, it's always like that. I knew I was a qualified GP, and this 18-year-old slip of a thing 
was just a mere farmhand. But I knew right then, when I was staring down at his particulars, I had to bloody have him. Okay, um, while you're here, if you could just bend over for me, please, and touch your toes. Whatever you say, Doctor. Right then, let's just popping him in. Oh, oh, just what, relax, it's just, it's just a finger. It, it, it doesn't feel like a finger, Doctor. It is. Just shh. Dear me, well, uh, Radio 4 interjected again. But I'll tell you what, though, drop your trousers is a lot better than FTSE 100. That's more miles like better. my kind of thing. That is it my really kind speaks of to me. Gritty. Cla- As a qualified doctor, that's what speaks to me. Yeah, uh, it's gritty, uh, class boundaries. It had everything. It had everything. Yeah, absolutely everything. Gratuitous Coffee nudity. Goblins. Gratuitous nudity, despite it being a radio drama. It had a lot. You can picture it, though. Oh, I pictured it. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it, and you'll tune in next time. And uh, who knows, maybe the the much-fated phone call with Sean Jones might actually happen, but I won't hold your breath. Anything else to add? Uh, Don't forget to check out the blog, which you can visit at the URL tiny.cc slash lsaf. Enjoy the uh, next couple of weeks. Tune in next time. Uh, Enjoy the World Cup as well. And... um, Keep your eyes peeled. Keep the potatoes peeled. Yeah, keep the potatoes peeled. Alright then, so... It's bye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Hey. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. That was the Sound of the Fury podcast. Do listen again next time.